It's the only profession where like effort can be truly tracked through metrics. Uh, you know, better or for worse, sales is very metric driven. There's a lot of art to it. This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Matt Barr. Matt played D1 basketball for the Bentley University Falcons before starting his sales career as an SDR with Acquia out of Boston. Today, he is the VP of Sales and Client Success at Breezeway, a leading property operations and services platform. Here he is, Matt Barr. I'm JR Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing? We got Matt Barr today. Matt, how are you? Uh, JR, what's happening, man? I appreciate you having me. No, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, great to have you. Perfect guest for our audience. So our audience is mostly new salespeople and a lot of people considering a career shift into sales. And then we find that we also get a lot of like um, sales leaders that listen to the podcast. So I think we got we got some content and some some topics to cover for for all three of those types of people. Um, and the way we like to flow, Matt, we start with your, your, your sports background, get into your transition and then hit, hit some of the lessons learned in your career. Sound like a good plan. Fantastic. I love it. Let's, uh, let's get into it. I love it. I think you might be our first Bentley Falcon. So I'm, I'm excited. Nice. (laughs) So let's start very broadly, Matt, um, you're, you're a basketball guy. What are some of your favorite memories of, of your basketball career? Yeah, I think uh, I think no surprise here, Jr. I think you 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 might have heard this once or twice before, um, but I think the like thinking about things you really really miss. Uh, it's got to be the locker room. I think you know the best thing you can do in life is is really just challenge uh, or take on a, a challenging goal with a group of people you know you deeply care about. Um, and when those people have similar values and they, you know, they approach their job or they approach the team, uh, with the same amount of energy and focus, uh, as you do, like it really lends itself to incredible experiences and amazing friendships. And when you're doing that with your best friends, uh, it gets even better. Um, so it's gotta be my teammates in the locker room. Uh, it's the long bus rides. It's the morning lifts, uh, you know, I never thought I'd miss the grueling preseason that, that leads up to the season. Um, definitely missed the, the two weeks postseason uh, when you're kind of winding down and, and sharing memories. And um, I think outside of that, it's like you miss the, the physical component of it as, as well. You know, as salespeople, we're, we're definitely competing mentally. And yeah. as business leaders were competing mentally, uh, but you missed the competitive, uh, the physical piece that goes along with that. But, uh, it's, it's the locker room. It's my, it's my teammates and the memories we shared for sure. Absolutely. Def- definitely the most common answer we get for sure. Um, and I think, I think it's true, man. And it's also, by the way, one of the reasons I think sales is a good career for athletes because sales is a team sport again. So, um, how do you think, uh, looking back at like, 
Bentley and, and just for the so the audience knows Matt and I share an alma mater. I didn't obviously I didn't go to Bentley. Um, my wife got her MBA there, but I I played at a school before Holy Cross called Cushing, and Matt played basketball at Cushing as well. So we got a That's we got right. a little pe- we got a little penguin connection going on. Purple I know we penguins. Get some, we get some penguin listeners, but um, how do you think when you look back specifically at Bentley? How do you think your teammates would describe you from those days? Yeah, uh, good question. You know, I think they would describe someone uh, who was tough, who was hard nosed, uh, who put the team first, who was you know an absolute competitor. Um, you know, I like to think I was the first one on the floor after a loose ball. Um, you know, it's funny after after every game, coaches would watch film and they would they would go through. I don't know how long it took them, uh, but they would go through every single play and look at every single player, uh, and they would they would look for positives and they would look for negatives on each play, and they would put in a plus. You'd get a plus or a minus uh, on each play. So if you missed a box out or you weren't in the right position defensively or you didn't make the next pass, uh, you'd get a minus. And we'd walk in the locker room uh, the next day. I mean, think about that. Talk about accountability. But we'd walk in the locker room the next day after a game, and there would be a huge sheet on the wall. And it would say, J.R. Butler, X number of pluses, X number of minuses. Uh, and I, I, really prided on my, I really prided myself on having zero minuses and um, you know, having the best ratio on the team. And you get pluses for all the little stuff. Uh, so that's what I pride myself on. I think that's what my teammates would would think about when uh, when I come to mind. Because uh, I mean, I was definitely not stuffing the stat sheet. Uh, that's for sure. That is amazing. I love yeah. that. That that was at Bentley. They did that. That was at Bentley. Yep. That is incredible, dude. Yep. That is incredible. Um, who who was the coach there? Was that not Coach Lawson? Was he was he there still or or was Jay that... Lawson? He's still there. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Unbelievable. Old, yeah. Old school demeanor. Um, you know, it's all about discipline, toughness. Uh, and he's, he's, you know, he embodies accountability. So I love that. That's, that's what a little nerve wracking walking into the locker room, uh, the, yeah. the day after <laughs> yeah. the game. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I wouldn't want to see my minus sheet. Like in hockey, it's just one minus and you can kind of hide and just keep yeah. throw it off the glass and get out. I'd have a lot of minuses though. You guys should have done plus minuses for the, for the post win parties too. Like pluses and minuses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bentley is first off an unbelievable school and it's very, it's very different than my liberal arts experience and that it is a business school. Like at the end of the day, right? Like it's very focused. So were you, were you thinking about sales the entire time you were there? Did it come up at some point? Were there other careers that you explored? Like how did that whole, towards the end of your, your basketball career, how did that whole transition kind of develop? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'd taken a couple sales classes at Bentley. It was not yet a major uh, at the time I ended up majoring in marketing, but uh, you know, those were, those were definitely my favorite classes. Uh, I had some older teammates in software sales. Um, you know, they were starting to make some real money. They had communicated, you know, they thought I might be okay at it. Um, but I was so ready to start cold calling JR that I, I actually, I 
I skipped getting right into software sales. I went to uh, Rwanda, Africa for a year right after college with a nonprofit uh, in a remote village uh, and just kind of using basketball as a vehicle um, to give women and children access to healthcare and health education. Wow. That was that was incredible and amazing experience. Um, I think the whole time I knew I would, you know, the natural transition from that is you know, software sales, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think the whole time I, I knew I would, I would end up there because, uh, you know, because of some of the classes I took at Bentley, but more so from seeing older teammates who had gone on, uh, to, to get into SaaS sales and, and start to see some real success, um, and, and try to follow their path. Yeah. I'm, I'm so jealous that you, you even had the option to take a sales class at Bentley. What it like, now that you're in it now, are there things you look back on and you're like, they, I, I can't believe they were already teaching this or are there, th- or, and are there some things you look back on and you're like, that's not really relevant. It was, I think I took, it was relevant. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they, they focused it on entry level sales as well, which was good. So they talked good. about, you know, they talked about email messaging and effective cold emailing and some cold calling. Wow. Um, but again, I think like until you're in it and at that time, you know, being an athlete in college, you're still, you know, you're still really focused on basketball and, um, you're not thinking about how am I going to use this in my SaaS sales career moving forward. So, um, I think I had to probably relearn everything that that was talked about in that class, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I'm grateful that they, that they had classes at that time. And it's awesome now that you're seeing, you know, sales majors across a lot of these universities. I know, I know, I know. know, uh, There's a guy at Bentley named Jim Pouliopoulos. Pouli, I don't know if he was there when you were there, but he is a legend. Yep, that was, uh, he was one of the professors. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Um, I I, uh, judge their their sales major, they do a sales competition and we judge it every year. Oh, Uh, nice. Yeah, it's really. Yeah, cool. I'm sure it's come. I'm sure it's come a long way. That's oh yeah, that's awesome. Oh yeah. What do you? Um, so you, first off, amazing, uh, amazing experience going to Rwanda. You were building basketball courts there, right? Yep. Yep. So building cool. basketball and coaching, uh, and then using it to to teach some health education and. That's very cool. That's cool. Um, and then you get back here. You get an SDR job. T- talk to me about it. What do you remember about that first sales job? Yeah, so I landed a job at Acquia, um, you know, enterprise level SaaS company in Boston, yep. decent sized SDR team. I think I had 15 to 20 uh, on my team, um, and it was wow. awesome. I mean, it was it was in per- it was my first and last uh, in person year of my career. So we had you know the bullpen that I I definitely miss and which we could uh, you know which we could recreate at Breezeway a little bit, but um, I hit the ground running. I worked in the Fed space. I had two, uh, two awesome AEs that I worked with that you know became mentors for me. A great director of that space that that became mentors to me. Um, but I put my all into it, and uh, it was a fantastic experience. And I think about you know twelve months in, there was a, a really strong path to becoming um, an account executive. Uh, but I I felt like something was missing. Uh, and I actually started uh, thinking about sports again. Uh, so I left, I left Acquia and I started a sports marketing company that I was hoping to turn into like a, a sports management company oh, wow. uh, with a friend of mine. 
And we had a couple of friends in the NBA and we're like, all right, maybe we can help them build a brand, you know, off the court, which has become, you know, super important, especially for some guys with, with, you know, short tenures and goes hand in hand with all the stuff that, uh, that you guys are doing. Um, but a couple poured myself into that for a couple months, had no idea what the hell I was doing. Um, and I, I got on the phone with a mentor of mine. He was the chief sales officer at Acquia and went on to be a president at a company called uh, Project 44. Um, but we were chatting. He's like, Matt, my passion, you know, your passions are sports. My passions are racing. He does a lot of, a lot of like car racing. He's like, yeah. my passions are racing, traveling, spending time with my family. Uh, at this time, he was at the supply chain management company. He's like, listen, I don't care about supply chain management. You know, I have created passions around building process, around building high performing teams or around developing relationships around, you know, challenging and, and helping young sellers develop personally and professionally and, and, you know, helping clients uncover inefficiencies. And, um, this was a huge change, change for me. Cause he was like finding a passion in those things and pouring myself into those things has allowed me to have financial freedom and, and own a motorsports company and travel all over the world and give my family, you know, incredible life. Uh, so it really hit me and I was like, all right, I'm getting back into SaaS sales. I'm going to give this another go. And I, I really enjoyed my time at Acquia. Um, I just felt like something was missing. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get back into SaaS, but I'm going to find a startup where I can really feel like I'm, I'm helping to build something. Uh, and that's when I found Breezeback because I, I loved all the aspects of SaaS at Acquia. I just felt like there was, there was a piece missing. Um, but I'm super grateful for that conversation. And, uh, as I've grown at Breezeway, you know, I've, do I love vacation rental operations? Uh, I think I probably do a little bit cause I've spent so much time, uh, <laughs> with this company, but my passions are, are building teams, building process, building structure, seeing people develop, seeing myself develop and, and seeing a, a company see success. So, uh, you know, grateful for that conversation and, and kind of how it's uh, pivoted my career. I love it. I love it, dude. I say it all the time. You don't follow your passion. You work for your passion. Yeah. And it comes by, you know, it's like the people get confused between purpose and passion, right? Like yeah. your purpose, right? You, you love sport and you want financial freedom. And you want, you know, I don't know if you're a golfer. I'm a golfer. I want to golf a lot. Like that's, you're that's what I want to do. And I want to be, I want to be present in my kid's life. I want to coach his teams. So for me, that's my purpose. Um, in order to achieve that purpose, I've developed a passion about a lot of the same stuff you're talking about, building great teams, teaching young uh, potential salespeople how to sell and build a career. And, and I figured out a way to make money doing that. You figured out a way to make money building teams and um, instituting process and systems. And that's going to help me get my purpose, but that's not what my job is. Like, and you get passionate, you get more and more passionate. Like you said, as you get better at stuff like anything else. So dude, that is so good. You owe that guy a huge favor for explaining that to you. Oh, hundred percent. We're still uh, very close today. Uh, I owe him a lot more than that. Um, what, you're, you're, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what are some of the boxes that got checked going to a smaller company that you didn't find at a bigger company? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I joined Breezeway, it was a, it was a bit of a wild west. So, um, 
I, I really got to dig in and, and be, uh, you know, use some of my resourcefulness um, to, to understand, you know, how do you run a successful uh, sales business at a SaaS company with 10 people? And, and how do you grow that from 10 people to 20 people while continuing to improve efficiency and, and build out a repeatable, scalable process? And then, you know, how do you pour gasoline on that? And, um, you know, there wasn't really anyone at the company that was, that was taking that on. Um, you know, I came in as a individual contributor, um, but there was, you know, so much green field in front of me that it was like incredibly lucky to, to join that position and, and, work for an incredible CEO with a, a amazing product that meets like a business critical need. But, uh, you know, I had to take advantage of that greenfield in front of me and, and, and build out a scalable process. And you can, I think at smaller companies, you can really see, you can feel the impact of, of the work that you're doing uh, a lot easier than you can at, at bigger companies. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. And, and this is, that's a good transition into this next question. Cause this is part of part of like what we're we're dealing with a lot with athletes and veterans that come through our program. They want to know, you know, they come initially. They come and they're interested, right? Interested in sales. And I'm sure you get similar calls from like Falcons. Um, yeah. When when a senior from Bentley calls you and they say, "Hey, Matt, I saw that you're a VP of sales um, and that you play basketball at Bentley. I'm thinking about getting into sales. What's that conversation? What is, and, and, and there's a second part to this, but let's start there. What does the conversation look like with a kid like that? That yeah. is, is just showing this like, you know, potential in, intent of like moving into sales. How do you talk to that person? Yeah. Great question. Uh, and I've had a few of these conversations. Um, and if it's a, if it's a Bentley basketball player, you know, whether a male or a female, uh, I know both of those coaches very, very well. Uh, so I know that they were coached hard. Uh, so I want to dig into that first. I want to, I want to get a better understanding of, you know, how they feel about those experiences. What lessons did they learn from coach? What lessons did they learn from being a Bentley basketball player? And if they have, you know, a deep appreciation for that coaching and, and, an appreciation for being yelled at in the film room, um, an appreciation for what they've learned. And like, that's a great sign that they appreciate development and tough feedback. And that's going to do them wonders, uh, in the sales world. Uh, I think the second question that I ask is, uh, what drives them? And I don't think there's a right answer to this. Uh, but I think there needs to be an answer, right? Some people are driven financially. Some people are driven by, uh, other things, whatever it is, like you're going to need some conviction in sales to show up every day, especially as an SDR and get hung up on. Um, so I'm looking for some drive. Uh, and then it usually leads to, you know, just talking about, talking about SaaS and my experience. And um, I like to talk through some of the, the pros that I've experienced, like, you know, being able to take a athletic competitive nature and, and really use that as a profession and, all the relationships that you can build with clients and with colleagues. And, you know, you can, you can end up making a lot of money doing this stuff and you see people get really excited. Uh, and I think you'll like this piece of like, then I try and then I throw on all the, all the shit that's really hard about being a SaaS professional. And I want to see their reaction after that. So, uh, you know, if you want to be great, it's not going to be 40 hours a week. Uh, right. you know, as an SDR, I actually interviewed an SDR today and, um, I'm like, cold calling is hard. You're going to be hung up on. 
Um, and I, and I'm waiting to see that person. If they're really excited after the good stuff and then even more excited after the second piece, uh, I think those are the people that, you know, I'm going to make some introductions and I'm, I'm going to push them to, to follow this path because it shows that they want to be challenged. Um, and they're, they're someone that's willing to, to get into the trenches. So. So good, dude. And that's literally, that's how our process works is like, you get them inspired. Hey, you can, you, in three to five years, you can make 150 to $200,000. There's no other profession in the world. You can do that. You build your own schedule. You know, there's a lot of entertaining. You get to, you know, meet new people. You get to learn what makes them tick. You get to help them solve problems. Right. And everybody's like, Oh, this sounds awesome. And then yeah. it's like, Oh, by the way, <laughs> your first year, you're going to make a hundred dials a day. Minimum. You're going to get hung up on nine out of 10 times. You're going to get kicked in the teeth. You're going to have to learn all this new shit. Uh, like, and it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. And by the way, you have to put every activity into a CR and it's exactly. like, <laughs> and it's like, Oh, by the, the, the thing I always say to them. And I remind my team of this too, when they bitch about like, uh, CRM, I'm like, that's what the money's for. Like, yes, there are a lot of fun parts to this, but you get paid for the hard parts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone would do it if it was all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. It's the only profession where like effort can be truly tracked through metrics, uh, you know, better or for worse. Sales is very metric driven. There's a lot of art to it. There's, you know, you got to make sure you're looking at anecdotal feedback. Um, yep. But end of the day, you know, the amount of effort that that's being put in usually can be seen uh, in a dashboard, which is totally, um, it can be tough. It's, it's, it's the, so every profession has its controllables. Sales is the only profession that the controllables are black and white. You either did them or you did not. So if you're not in the green on your controllables, you have no right to, to complain or to be entitled to anything else. Like, and, and I, like I said, I think that's another reason why we have had so much success with athletes because they get Absolutely. that part. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So you got this kid, uh, he's bought in, fired up, fired about the good stuff, fired up. He's okay with the bad stuff. And he's like, all right, I'm, I'm talking to like a few companies, Matt. Um, what should, what's your advice to this, this person in terms of like characteristics and like boxes to check? for the first company. Cause we, we get these kids, they get multiple offers and, and they're talking about, you know, 5k here or whatever, or this is in the office. This is remote. I'd like to be, what are the, what are the things at the core that really matter for your first job, your first company? Yeah. I'll try to keep this uh, relatively short. Cause I think I have a lot of them. Um, yeah. But to your, to your point, I don't think uh, you know, the 5k is definitely not, is definitely not one of them. Uh, when you talk about, you know, getting to, to 150, 200 plus, uh, and even, even more than that after five plus years, you know, that's, that's a drop in the water. Um, when prioritizing culture, I think, I think the three that I would focus on are culture and leadership and then probably growth, uh, third. Um, and there, there are a lot of ways to tease this out in the interview process. And I think, um, 
you know, questions that you can ask future teammates, you know, how much, how much coaching do you, how much coaching do you receive on a weekly, on a daily basis? You know, talk to me how you've developed your skills in the six months that you've been an SDR at this company that I'm thinking about joining. Um, and I think the same thing goes for, for when you're talking to hiring managers, right? Like talk me through how you approach team development. Do you have any examples of, uh, things you're working on with individual team members today? And, you know, if that manager can't respond pretty quickly and say, uh, you know, with, with SDR number one, you know, we're working on connect to booked rate and, uh, you know, we're really focusing on overcoming objections and, you know, he or she has a great opener, uh, tone is good, but when they hear an objection, they give up and like, we're doing role play in the second half of one-on-ones. And then we have a weekly enablement session. If like if a manager can't answer with, with something similar to that pretty quickly, then you're probably not going to get the amount of coaching um, that, that you probably require at that stage of your career. And I think a lot of people might shy away from, from that. Uh, we're like, okay, like not a ton of coaching. That's okay. But like being vulnerable at the beginning of your career and having a leader that you really look up to and, and care about, like will play major dividends um, down the, down the road. And I think you can get that at small companies. I think, you know, we do an okay job at it at 80 people. I wasn't very good at it when we were 15 people. Um, but I've also seen companies that have 2000 people that look like they have a lot of structure and it's, it's a lot of structure, but it's not, it's not coaching. So it's finding that individual that's really going to dig in, um, dig in with you, I think is, is the most impactful piece. Um, and then from a, a growth perspective, uh, I think you got to be a little bit careful with how you ask about growth in the interview yeah. process. Um, uh, I'll explain what I mean, but like asking the question of, you know, do you have an example of an SDR that came in and did, you know, everything you asked them to and got promoted to the next level? And, and, you know, what did that process and transition look like? I think that's, I think that's an okay question. I think you need to be careful about going uh, too much further than that because, yes. um, you know, in your first 12 months, in your first 18 months, potentially in your first 24 months, your core focus um, you should join a company that you can grow at, but your core focus needs to be becoming the best SDR that you possibly can be and pouring yourself into that job. Um, I mean, if the company is unhealthy and not going to be around in six months, like you want you know, you, you, yeah, need to figure, yeah. you need to figure that out. Um, but if you focus on being a great SDR and, and finding a great leader, then, you know, the rest will come for sure. I love that culture, culture, leadership and growth is right in line with, with what we talk about. And, and you made a great point there that I want to just call out. It's like, sometimes we lose kids, uh, sometimes to really big, well-known companies. And they say, well, I, I just think the structure is going to be better for me. And I say the same thing to you. I'm like, macro structure and micro structure are very different. You can, and, and I always say there's big company, small company. One is not better. They're both just very different. It comes down to that leadership in the organization that you're going to be in. And you, you, you said it perfectly. Like it's, it's not about big versus small. It's about how is that leader going to approach growth and like training and development and coaching. Yep. That's the difference. Yep. Um, great advice. All right. Now you're in a, you've gone from individual contributor to leadership now, and you're training, you train new reps a lot. Um, world has changed, especially uh, in your business. 
um, a lot. Um, how, like, what are, what are the pillars? If you got a kid and you're setting up their first six months in the career, how are you training new pillar, like new reps? Like what are the pillars of the Matt Barr onboarding playbook for you? Yeah. Good question. Um, I think the first thing we're always talking about is we want to make sure they understand um, and get familiar with what it means to be a great salesperson and a great teammate at Breezeway. And, you know, we have our kind of team DNA uh, listed out and it's a lot of intangible characteristics. And we want that to kind of set the scene with uh, how they approach their work every single day. Um, and, we, and we continue to talk about that through their first six months. Um, and, you know, obviously bringing, hopefully you're bringing in people with those intangibles and it's really just pouring gasoline on that fire. Um, but then I think from there, from a, a sales acumen perspective and, and developing sales skills, uh, we always start with understanding our client base uh, before we even look at the product. You know, we don't even yes. look at the product until, you know, week two. Week one is we're going to sit, we're going to sit down for hours and we're going to understand who are, who are our client base? Why the heck do they spend money on Breezeway? You know, what are they doing prior to Breezeway? And what are the impacts of that on their business? And how do we feel like Breezeway solves those? And like, that's what sales is, is getting really, really good at understanding those things. And then you can lay on, you know, becoming an expert in your product and the features and the functionality and being able to speak to different use cases. Um, but we want to really understand our clients and, and how to undercover, uncover those things, right? So how to ask really deep questions, not just what are you using for an operations tool? Like that's, that's a process question. You need to go three levers deeper and get to impact and understand how that process affects their business. So um, we want to make sure they understand, you know, the DNA piece. And then we, we really just focus on understanding who our clients are and, and the challenges they face in, in the, um, in a weekly basis. I'm, I'm just saying a note here for Austin to clip that piece because every freaking sales leader in the country needs to hear what you just <laughs> said. Starts with the customer, dude. That is awesome. It, it actually, you know, you start with the culture, right? Like, hey, guys, this this is our culture. And for me, culture, and it sounds like Coach Lawson um, <laughs> drilled this into your head too. Culture is values, expectations, and standards. That's culture. This is the values of our team, these are our standards and these are our expectations. And you need to have these things to be able to accomplish that. So love that. But then when you get into like beyond those like softer skills and you're talking about like how they're going to do their job, no mention of the product. Let's learn about the customer. Absolutely. Uh, I love that, dude. That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Really, really cool. Any, any, have you guys done anything like creative there to help them understand how those people how those people are, are spending their time and, and what's keeping them up at night. Yeah. I mean, we do, we have a, you know, we use gong, we do a ton of call record, uh, call recording and coaching. We have snippets, um, not of breezeway salespeople, but of, uh, you know, clients and prospects talking through their process and the challenges and their day to day. Um, and we have a lot of former property managers, our, our ICP, our property managers at the company. So we actually do like day in the life sessions with some of our teammates that used to be property managers. Um, so cool. And that's all that stuff. That's all that stuff happens in the first two weeks. 
you know, that's what we're focused on. Unreal. Unreal. I, I want everybody to hear this. I, <laughs> I, I, I've taken jobs myself and my friends in the audience will know this, but like you had to, you had to know the product demo with it in order to, to get on the phone. So like you'd spend the first, the first week, like learning how the product works and where buttons are and like, uh, what should I say when I show this part of the product? And looking back at that now, I'm like, why the hell were we, why the hell yeah. did they do that? Why were we not like, instead of before we show like what our product does, let's show them how the world works. And we were in, we sold the IT operations. Let's show them how IT operations looks without us and why it's broken and what keeps them up at night. That's such good advice, man. Yeah, especially um, as an SDR. Yeah, you, you just need, you need to be able to speak their language. You need to understand what they care about, and all you're doing is peaking interest. <laughs> Once yes. you're interested in in what the product and the features and functionality, like your job is done. You you get you get meetings because you're credible. You get credible because exactly. you understand them. Um, and it starts at the persona level, and then I'm sure like you're thinking about like company size. You're thinking about all right, let's look up this specific company, any news articles, any, anything that they're talking about publicly, but you can't even, you can't even press that in the Google machine until you understand the persona that you're talking about first. Cause that's going to help guide the research that you're going to do. That's relevant to that persona. It's, it's yep. perfect. Oh man. I love it. Um, Matt, this has been awesome. We have, I have one more question for you. It's a question we ask. Uh, actually, before I do that, let me ask you a question. You're you're now into your career, been been separated from basketball for a while. Tell me why you love sales. Just tell me like like what do you love about this profession, this career that you've chosen? Yeah, I think um I think it's the it's it's what we talked about around uh it's the one profession where uh what you put into it uh, has the biggest impact on what you get out of it. So if you are able to show up every single day with the same energy, attitude, effort, um, and you can put a ton of effort into self-development and, and use all the resources at your hand, like you're going to get a ton out of this profession. Um, and, and, and that's what I love. I want, I want the effort, uh, my efforts, my input, uh, to be what I get out of a, a career. And, and that's what I tell people all the time. So that's why I love it, man. Nobody cares. Work harder. <laughs> nice. I love it. That's why nice. I have, that's literally why I have nice. that behind me. That's awesome. Great answer, dude. All right. Last piece. Uh, people always ask me, JR, why do you focus on athletes and veterans? And I, my answer is always the same. I say, because I don't need to explain to these type of people what it means to be dialed in. And I'm sure you can agree with me when you look back, you think about the best sales reps you've worked with um, that have worked for you. That's a word you would describe. You would say, oh, she, she's dialed in. He's dialed in. What does that mean to you as in, in sales? What does it mean when somebody is dialed in? Yeah, I love it. I think, um, I think there's a lot on the, on the sales acumen side of things that we could talk about when it, when it comes to being dialed in, you know, really dialing in your discovery abilities and, and getting good at negotiation and fine tuning messaging. Um, but when I think about reps that are dialed in, it, it probably comes back to two intangible uh, characteristics. 
or, or concepts really. Um, and the first one is everyday ability. So concept of everyday ability is bringing the same energy, focus, attitude to uh, not only every day that you show up, but to every single thing that you do, every, inter, uh, every interaction that you have uh, in a given day. And I think this is something that was uh, really instilled in me uh, at Bentley, if you can't tell from, from Coach Lawson and some of the stuff uh, he was doing. But, um, you know, are you great four out of five days a week? Are you great 19 out of 20 working days in a month? Or are you truly great uh, every single day? Uh, and to me, the reps that are, that are dialed in do it every day. And, and how that transitions to, to software sales, um, you know, we're an SMB sale. You could have four to five demos in a, in a given day. You know, is that fourth or fifth demo getting the same energy as the first? Are you doing the same meeting prep for that fourth or fifth demo as you were for the first? Are you doing the same follow-up? Are your notes as good in HubSpot or, or, or in Salesforce? Um, and it really comes down to truly caring about every detail and then having the discipline to do that over and over again. Um, so the reps that do that, I'm like, all right, this guy or gal, they are, they are dialed in. I love it. That's awesome, man. Everyday ability. That is, is that a, is that a coach Lawson, uh, ism? <laughs> that is a coach Lawson ism for sure. I love that. I love that. That might be the title of the episode right there, buddy. Yeah. And I, um, I would say the other one, the other concept, uh, is internal versus external. So I think we're looking for everyday ability and then we're looking for the people that are dialed in have a mindset of internal versus external. Uh, what I mean by that is if a close rate is off or, you know, you missed a revenue target, are you, are you someone that says, ah, you know, well, the market conditions are rough or, you know, you know, product hasn't released the, the feature they were talking about, or JR got more inbounds than me. You know, he got five, I got two. Um, or are you someone that instead of looking externally, looks internally and says, all right, inbounds are down. Like, what am I doing to drive outbound pipeline? Where's my activity at? Where's my, you know, what does my messaging look like? How am I setting my SDR up for success? Um, and, and the reps that, that look internally versus externally, you can see it on a, after a month, uh, where, you know, maybe they miss their number. That one-on-one -on -one sheet is filled out with all the stuff that they're going to try and do to hit goal, uh, this month. And it's like dialed in, dialed in. The excuse department is closed. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Work harder. That's dialed in, man. Yep. Ah, man, the everyday interaction in my, by, by the everyday ability in my head, I'm thinking of like a personal plus minus thing. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? That's yeah. it. Like that's what that you, you personified that into a sales profession and it's a yeah. perfect match. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, good. it's not easy. It's not easy. No, like... no, no, it's not easy. That's what, that's what the money's for, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. This was an awesome episode, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Love what you guys do. So uh, keep it up. Appreciate it. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io. 